and Holy Spirit. Amen. About eight days before the story that we read in this morning's gospel, Jesus had asked Peter and the disciples who they thought that he was. And clearly, from the way that the story is told, they had to have a really long Finally, Peter blurted out, you are the Messiah of God. You know, I think we all know how it is. How sometimes it's easier to say something that we know is true than it is to believe that it's true. Way down deep inside of you, you believe it. Maybe. But maybe you just know that those are the right answers to the question. It's like saying that you believe that God's grace means that you're forgiven all of your sins. All of them, absolutely all of them. But deep down inside, you have a really hard time believing that might be true. Or saying that you know that God loves you unconditionally and because you are of value to him but really really you think God loves you in spite of yourself it's a lot like that with a lot of the faith language that we use we use lots of language about the strengthening power of grace about forgiveness about God's love and and his care for us and we know and may even believe that it's true but we can't feel it deep in our bones. And that's to say nothing of that more technical language, the language from the creed about being only begotten, the Son of God, God from light, light from light, true God from true God, or the language of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know it's true, we have a really hard time connecting with that truth or feeling it within us. And I think it was a bit like that for Peter and the other disciples. I mean, Jesus had asked them who he really was. And finally, when Peter blurts out his answer, all the other disciples can do is stand around and nod and go, yeah, what he said. They were hugely relieved that Peter had finally saved them with the right answer on the pop quiz. But none of them could really feel it in their bones. They couldn't make the connection or grasp the enormity of what had just been said. They knew it was right, but they didn't know enough about it to make it their own truth. That wouldn't happen until later. It would happen after Easter. And then they would be willing to die for that truth. Now, though, for now, they were just happy to have the right answer to the pop quiz. But, you know, calling Jesus the Christ or the Messiah, that's not like getting the right answer on an algebra problem or a chemistry exam. For Christians, it's not enough for us just to know the right answers. And that's part of the reason I think that Peter, or that Jesus rather, took 
Peter and James and John up the mountain that morning. It wasn't for the exercise. They didn't need to get their steps in. It was to make it clear what it meant to call Jesus the Messiah of God. And when they saw his glory revealed, when it was made apparent to them what it meant to be divine and human, they were so stupefied with fear that all they could think about was going to sleep. Their sleepiness is one of those really compelling human details in the Gospels. It's actually quite a natural thing for human beings whose minds and senses have been overwhelmed to want to just curl up and go to sleep. So there they stand, Peter, James, and John, confronted with the vision of Christ in all of his true glory, and they're stupefied with sleep. And all they can do is talk nonsense. And then God speaks to them. He tells them that Jesus is his son and that they must listen to him. And God is all around them in the cloud, in the voice, in the power and the glory of the divine that are shining through Christ. And, and they're brought face to face with all of that. They were given the chance to know deep in their bones that the answer to the quiz was just as enormous as they thought, that Jesus was the Messiah of God. What's more, they were brought face to face with the Holy One of Israel, and they lived. You know, when Moses went up on Sinai, though being in the presence of the glory of God made his face glow and he had to veil it, he still had to turn away his face and not look at God directly lest he die. But here on Mount Tabor, the three disciples and Moses and Elijah stand in the presence of the incarnate God revealed in all his glory. And when Peter and James and John were left alone with Jesus, there is no way that they could not have known who he was. And from the accounts in the Gospels, that knowledge stayed with them about halfway down the mountain. But what about us? That walk up the mountain happened a long time ago. And even Peter and James and John couldn't hold on to the fullness of what they had seen. They could not remember in their bones that they had seen the face of the divine revealed in Jesus. So what about us? How are we supposed to get from knowing the right answers on the quiz to knowing Jesus and seeing him for what he truly is? Well, there's only one way. This is the way, and it's prayer. Prayer as an encounter with the risen Christ. Prayer where we open our hearts and our minds and allow Christ to speak to us. It's the sort of prayer that was once really common among Christians and it is now almost lost. 
almost to almost or often rather when we hear someone talk about this kind of prayer we think that the speaker is proposing something mysterious and probably impossible but it wasn't always so one of the great gifts that those early Jesus followers found in their new faith was that it was a union of the spiritual and the religious there were practices that helped them transcend themselves and which were at the same time embedded in scripture and teachings that helped them to know that they were on the true path. In the beginning, those everyday followers of Jesus expected their prayers and most especially their worship to help them encounter the living Christ in a way that revealed the truth of him to them. But as the faith aged, and we got further and further away from the apostles and from the people who knew the apostles, somehow, somewhere, we all got the impression that those sorts of encounters were reserved for special people, monks and hermits and saints and other oddballs like that. But not for us. We didn't have any reason to need that kind of prayer, did we? Everyday people, we came to believe, could not have those encounters, didn't need those kinds of encounters, because we could never see the glory of Christ that was revealed to Peter and James and John on that mountain. This is so wrong. And the church has paid an incalculable price for it. You and I have paid an incalculable price in the price in the way that it has separated us from our Messiah. That sort of prayer and that sort of worship is the life-giving spiritual side of Christianity and we are all called to engage in it. Christians are supposed to be spiritual and religious at the same time. So how do we go about praying so that we can encounter the risen Christ? Lent begins this Wednesday and we're supposed to be examining our lives and working on finding ways to increase our relationship with Christ and prepare ourselves for the resurrection. So how do we pray? Well, there are a couple of ways, one of which is a lot better than the other. But let's start here. How many of you learned in Sunday school or somewhere the acronym ACTS, A-C-T-S, for prayer? Adoration, contrition, thanksgiving, supplication. It's a great place to begin. Adoring God being contrite for those ways in which we have separated ourselves from God, giving thanks for all the ways that we have been blessed, and then praying prayers of supplication for those in need, including ourselves. It's a really good way to pray. But it leaves far too little room in our prayer lives for quiet. It tempts us to do all of the talking and then to shut down the conversation. 
let's see, I've done my A, my C, my T, my S. I had 15 minutes for this. I'll see you tomorrow, God. And we don't listen. And we don't spend any time. It's also a tempting because it feels like we're getting something accomplished in prayers. And boy, howdy, as Americans, do we ever, ever want to get something accomplished. But to know Christ and to know the truth of Christ deep in our bones and in our prayers, we have to use a different form. Something more spiritual, if you will, and something that feels less like we have accomplished a task. So I would suggest this. Sit patiently with Scripture. Scripture helps you focus if you're just beginning this sort of prayer. Take one of the stories from Jesus' ministry and sit with it. Read it over and over. And listen to the words that Jesus speaks in the text. We call it the living word of God. Let it live for you. It is not a 2,000-year-old newspaper. Listen to Jesus and read the story multiple times and listen carefully. Don't try and force it. Be patient. If you get distracted, if you notice the cobweb in the chandelier, if you start thinking about your golf spring, swing, if you're wondering what the kids are up to or what you're going to have for dinner, write it down and go back to your prayer. This is the beginning. This is the way. And as you grow in this practice, you will find ways to extend it. You will find ways by participating in the contemplation of the sacraments, by fasting and with other spiritual disciplines that will lead you further up that mountain and deeper into that mystery of God. And one day, you may find yourself on Mount Tabor with Peter and James and John and Jesus and Moses and Elijah and surrounded by the glory of God and overwhelmed by that reality. Because Christ stands there and calls you and calls me to make that journey. Now, what's the point of all of this? Well, if you're practically perfect in every way, like Mary Poppins, then you probably don't need this. Anyway, and I know that I need Christ. And this is the way that we open ourselves and allow Christ to become alive for us. It's the place where our faith language ceases to be a series of questions and answers and instead becomes a reality in our lives that lives in us. As I said, Christ wants all of us to climb that mountain and see what Peter and James and John saw. His desire for all of us is that we know deep down in our bones and in our hearts the truth of his love, of his gift, of his healing, and of his reality. And it's here at the end of our own climb up the mountain where we will come to understand in all of its fullness 
the answer that Peter blurted out. You are the Messiah of God. Amen.